Welcome to episode 593 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 593, John. We're getting old. Getting up to 600. Up to 600. Uh, well, I'm talking with Coach John Newsom. Bevan James Oz, how you going, mate? Pretty good. Why is yeah. that? Oh, yeah, it's a nice day. Get out for a bike ride after we're done. How far are you going to ride? I'm just going to go along with Port Hills. Can you, go again? Can you get into Lewiston yet? No. When's that going to happen? Don't know, but all you international listeners will be loving that Littleton update. Oh, I get emails, probably 100 emails a week, saying when we're getting the next Littleton update. Mm. So thanks thanks for no answers on that. <laughs> you know, it really helped. <laughs> I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And let's name a couple, Jumbo. Robert Dr. Doogood Turnbull. Uh, Roger the Chop Cannon. And William Spector Moore. Oh, I think Double Seven might be in that one there, John. No, I think so too. <laughs> Roger Moore. Okay, in this week's show we've got a bit of news. We've got age group. Oh no, we haven't. We've got we're discussion of the week. Are we doing a high five? Yeah. I thought you said you're going to take it out till next week. No, no, no. You clearly weren't listening and I clearly wasn't explaining myself. Okay, so it was both our faults. Yes. Good, okay, that's good. Uh, we're gonna, uh, Website of the week, we've got an interview. With Matt Dixon. Uber coach Matt Dixon from Purple Patch. I have to ask him what Purple Patch means. Okay. Do you think? Well, let's have a guess. What do you think it means? You're in a good patch of form. You know, you're in a purple patch. It means you're in a in a good. Is it? Yeah, I think so. We'll find what, out. What, what, what was the one of the rabbit who went into the briar? Into the. <laughs> I don't know what rabbit Warren you're going down, Bevan. <laughs> Absolute gold. Uh, we've got some questions and answers at the end, so let's get into it, guys. This week's news. Last week, we we're going to have two new millionaires in the sport. They're going to take this race seriously. Give me them, show me the money. And I was a little suspect. Of, you know, they I was more confident ra- than you I were. Was ra- they were raging hot favourites, Daniela Reef and Gomez. And I was thinking, this is the end of a very long season. And I proved. still expect them to win. But I said there's a reasonable outside chance that there's some other legend athletes there that could knock them off the perch, and they did. Yeah, so, so talk, let's talk about the race. Let's go girls first, because yeah. I want to just highlight, A, Holly Lawrence winning the race, which is awesome, but also Anne Haug in second place ran a 117.27, wow. which is on par with most of the guys take out Christian Blumenfeld, which got her within 10 seconds of winning the race. So the story of the day, not that I watched the coverage, but... And- I, Far out, man. That's smoking. Five minutes faster than any other girl. And let's be honest, it's, it's Emma Pellant. She was basically five minutes faster than most of the other girls as well. So smoking. Yeah, so very impressive. You know, ten over 10 minutes faster than Daniela Reef. Now, Daniela Reef didn't have a fantastic run. So uh, I haven't didn't watch the coverage, but I believe there was um, live coverage going on. Uh, so a lot of you guys will know more than I did. But from what I read was Daniela Reef um, was, you know, Working pretty hard, going for it on the bike. Holly Lawrence was uh, sticking with her. Then Daniela Reef dropped the hammer um, in the at some stage on the bike and built up a, around about a two minute lead, two or three minute lead. And coming off the bike, you're thinking, well, she's probably, yeah. probably got it. You know, yeah, she's, two she's a good runner. She, there are girls that are faster, but 
you know. Uh, but she ended up not having a very good run. You know, one twenty-eight twenty is uh, is not up to her usual standards. So she faded to third. Annie Haug came through uh, for second with a one seventeen. So she didn't lose too much time in the swim. She swam twenty-five, so only about a minute down on the first two girls, but uh, lost uh, you know six minutes to Daniela Reef, but came home. 117 impressive. Holly Lawrence uh, swam 24 minutes, rode 212 and ran a 123 to win by 10 seconds. So unfortunately for Daniela Reef, no million dollars this year. No, no. Great racing though. Yeah, totally. And you said Holly Lawrence. Mm, oh well, that's not. That's not. That's not a great surprise. No, but still, she's what you know. I just love to see because she didn't perform at the Worlds, did she? Oh, she's had all sorts of injuries and things like oh, okay. that. So you know, she had a great. Um, I think she did very well at the Island House try. So it would just be great if Daniela Reef hadn't blown up on the run and had a good run to see if uh, you know those two head-to-head uh, head. Head head is, is great racing. So uh, good to see that you know Daniela Reef is not indestructible, not that we want to be tall poppy syndrome and, and you know bang people off the top. But, uh, yeah, great racing by the girls. Well, in long course she is still. Mm. Yeah, but in short course she is not as dominant. Well, she was at seventy point three worlds. Yeah, but <laughs> well, no, her. but no, but like you know, People long course you can't see you can't see her losing a long course, can you? No. Whereas you know this one here, she did lose a race. Mm. You know, so uh, boys side of things equally fantastic <coughs> racing on the guys side. So Javier Gomez, you know, was a raging hot favourite, seventy point three world champion. You know, just really is head and shoulders, not head and shoulders, but just class across the board. But what this race highlights, as with the Island House race last weekend or the weekend before, is at this stage of the season, people are getting a little bit tired. And he actually said that. <laughs> and he's been going since March. He said he got on the bike and the legs just went there. Yeah, so, yeah, real sh- shame for him as well, you know. Would have got another million bucks in the bank and uh, he ended up fading to fourth place so Terenzo Bozzoni uh, was down out of the swim you know, X the bike yep so Javier Gomez had a nice lead coming out of the swim he swam 21.53 so had a good lead over everybody and then Terenzo came out with the, the main contenders and just put the hammer down wrote a 157.59 I saw a comment by John Leveson from Try 247 that it was 90 kilometres oh good so uh, 157.59 57, 59, 90 kilometres. So, and it's a you, TT really too, isn't it? You do the maths it? on that. That's yeah. a pretty handy average speed. Well, it's 45k an hour. That's, that's smoking, smoking, isn't it? Smoking it. Jeepers creepers that is smoking it. So I think he also had a three-minute lead coming off the bike, but Christian Blumenfeld, who has been killing it on the ITU circuit this year and won Super League, came home with a 113.33 to catch Terenzo uh, reasonably late in the run. I believe it was about 16 or 17 k's. I'm not 100% sure on that, but went on to win by... Uh, around about 40 seconds or so from Terenzo, who was the winner last year, and Sven Rita, the wily old ITU campaigner who got a what did he get a bronze medal in the 2004 Olympics. So 13 years later, he's still you know banging heads with these dudes, but he was six minutes behind those guys. So the front two really were absolutely killing it. One thing on Terenzo, John, John Hancock, the Mountain Snail sent through, the, Terenzo has changed coaches recently. He was with John Auckland for a long, Auckland. long time. Auckland for a long, long time. And now he's gone with Daniel Puru. So mm-hmm. it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, it seems to be working because last week he had Island House got pretty close for second there. And then the week before that he did Los Cabos and then he obviously had a good performance in Kona and then he's got Western Australia coming up this weekend. So bloody hell, man. He is one of the athletes that really does race 
more or less 12 months of the year. And, jeez, oh, I hope he can, you know, like if this is a, a sign of where things are heading, bring on next year. Mm. You know, like, because Torenzo's always been the guy in longer, and the 70.3s is a killer, but in the longer stuff, he hasn't really cracked it. And, you know, we're just starting to see here that fast race last year, mm. you know, first top 10 in Kona this year, you know, maybe, and he's still young enough. I don't know how Torenzo is. I think he's only about 31. Athletic age is... Okay, uh, let's go, let's go. You guess. My guess? Mm, I'm going to say 32. 30. I say 31. Okay, you okay. said 32, I said 31. 32, John Newsom. <laughs> you took it out. March the 1st, 1985. There you go. Athletic age, he is a super veteran. He has been around for a long, long time. He was winning... World junior titles when he was about 15. He was a celebrity in New Zealand when he was about 16 mm. on Sports Caf. Yeah. Um, so the, the other piece of news from the race, which has been a little bit controversial, John, um, the Prince of Bahrain. Is he the Prince of Bahrain? Well, he's just what, a prince. A prince? Yeah. What a mini. A sheik, not a, a, sheik. Yeah, a prince. I don't know if he's a prince. Nate calls him the prince. Sorry? The okay. Prince. He's got some good songs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there. Yeah, unfortunately he's dead though. I'll back it up. Uh, anyway, he, uh, he's qualified for Kona, John. He has. Woo! By the military division, which is pretty crappy. So there was obviously a military division at the 70.3 champs over there, and he's got his ticket to Kona. So look, you play by the rules. I'm always an advocate. The rules are there. You play by the rules. How many races have military division? Yeah, look, I, I think we take a different slant in New Zealand to having military division. We don't get it. Like, no, we know you're Americans like and, and different parts of the world. Um, respect and embrace your military in New Zealand. We, <laughs> well, <laughs> we just don't have, we don't really have much of an army. Our army really goes on either peacekeeping missions or um, search and rescue. So they're really a valuable part of our. And hey, if, if the war happens, we know the Americans are going to look after us. Yeah, so <laughs> we don't have. So we'll take the. We'll, we'll yeah, look, yeah. It's just a bit different down here. So I still find it odd that there's military divisions anywhere at any but race. But I think it also goes to the history of the race because mm. John. What was it Collins. Like? John Collins, he was military. Yep. And. Um, so, you know, like the Iron Man concept and the kind of the type of person does sit in line with the military, mm. you know, mm. so you can kind of understand that. And it has been historically there. Yeah. So I think what's ruffled a few feathers with some people is, A, he's qualified via the military and I don't know how much military service he's done. Maybe he's done a lot. And other people are also complaining that he either had a separate wave start for himself. Um, Pick it up. And Did he have a separate wave start? Well, he went with other athletes and things like that. And I don't know the exact ruling around that. But again, in his defence, I've actually worked with one athlete who has had to have security and things like that in those circumstances, and I kind of get it. It's not necessarily fair, but he's still to go and do the distance and all that sort of stuff. So it is. Well, it's, it's a little bit murky. As in, the person was such a high level person, they yes. need to be protected. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's racing oh, okay. in Bahrain. You know, it's what you know. Let's say Prince Harry. Yeah, if he was going to go and do an, an, an Ironman somewhere. Yeah, there are extra circumstances, so... Yeah, okay, mate. I understand Maybe why. that does make it a little bit more fair. Mm. He's still got to do the distance, and... Mm. It's a funny that one, That doesn't it? bother me too that much. That is a hard one. Mm. It is a hard one. Yeah. Anyway, he's going to Kona. And I think the, th the other thing is he's, he's quite capable. I think he would have qualified if he'd gone to an Ironman somewhere. He's, I think he's gone very close before. So, anyway. Mm. It's off to Kona. We just don't want it to be that if you have a certain level of wealth, you get advantages in the sport. 
I think that already happens. Well, I know. <laughs> I'm just saying, we're fighting against it, John. We're fighting against it. Just one other thing. Um, just someone sent this through. Alistair McVie just sent through that. No, it wasn't Alistair McVie, actually. It was. Let me have a look through. I want to give the credit to the right person. Andrew Brillant sent through. Um, just Macker was just saying that Super League has been confirmed for the next three years. Right. Yeah, Great. So that's kind of cool news. Mm. Yeah. So I suppose the real question is, what does it become within the, in the triathlon year now? Mm-hmm. You know, they've kind of been fitting it in and how many more races and stuff are we going to see? But it's good to see because I think it's a great thing for the sport. We also had Ironman Cosmel at the weekend. And fast. Yeah, some seriously oh, I looked at it fast And sometimes. I thought short swim or something when I saw the results. Well, I don't think the swim would have been short, but they do have current assisted swims oh, down okay. there. So it's bloody hard to get it right. Uh, so Sebastian Keenlay swam 41 minutes. Um, I think Jared Shoemaker, I think, did a set a new swim course record. Um, but yeah, 41 minutes for the swim. So it was clearly current assisted or short and the bike though set a new course record 410 and ran a 251 so 748 11. Nice. Very impressive. So I did you know often with these end of season races I wonder are these guys going there just to, to clip the ticket and uh, and just get their cone of validation done um, but clearly Sebastian Keenlay was giving it plenty. But Pretty good swim from him because look when you look at the field you had um, Joe, uh, Schumacher he did like a 39 but pretty much everyone else is in 41. Now, admittedly, it's not the Kona field, but he's got some good swimmers there. Yeah, so he's two minute, two, over two minutes down on Ivan Rana. So I'd say it's yeah better than what he did in Kona, but you know, probably where you'd, he'd hope and expect to be. Um, and also when the swim's a bit shorter, you know, it's going to yeah, mean that the gap. gaps are a little bit sh- shorter as well. So very impressive. Michael Weiss was in second place. Uh, he had a very good run for a guy that's an uber biker and, and often doesn't run that great. Uh, he came home in 7.53 and Ivan Rana in third in 7.58. And another eight, sub eight hour for Stefan Schmidt as well. He went seven. 59. I do wonder if this is a, a slight change in strategy for Sebastian Keenlay or not, um, because traditionally he does you know, mid, mid-season Germany and then goes on to Kona from there, and maybe he's changing his strategy going, well, I've got my Kona result, I'll, I'll get myself um, guaranteed now, and maybe he, he tries a slightly different build-up, because I think he is going to need to try something different to to beat you know both Jan Fredino and uh, and Patrick Langer if he's going to run a you know a two thirty nine again. So um, interesting to see where Keenlay takes because he has got all the goods you know he's got the bike and he's shown at times that he is he's really has got the run and uh, just needs a little bit of luck and swim a little bit better and who knows should be good racing. Well, good. The, the, the irony is is. Traditionally, your argument was always you can't really have that mid-season or July, June, July hard race and do well in Kona, but that's been disproven over the last couple of years. But and it's because Frodo is a bit of a freak. It has, but you know when you look at Frodo's wins in Kona, um, you know, I remember last year, yeah, he won, but he said he didn't felt great yeah. all the way through. So you know if you want to have that lifetime best performance in in October, yeah, it's not impossible to do it, but it seems, yeah, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I still think yeah, you, you probably don't want to be doing mid-season Ironman, do some racing, but I, I wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Girl side of things, uh, we had some fast racing as well. 
Good old Holly Lawrence took it out, John. Uh, <laughs> on no the page. <laughs> uh, Lisa Roberts took it out in 8.54, came home again with a sub-three-hour marathon, 2.59.19. Kirsty Yarn was second, also under the nine-hour barrier with an 8.58. And Sonia Tysik was third in nine hours and 53. Anya Baranek back and forth. So Lisa Roberts, fantastic race. Uh, swam 49, rode 4.59. God, she loves her nines in this race. 49 minutes swim, 4.59 on the bike, 2.59 run for an 8.54. Um, John, we've got Ultraman happening right now. Or is it just no, finished? Done, done and dusted. I have to say, Ultraman, time to update your website. Yeah, somebody, I know there's guys that do that race. It must have a, little, a few spare dollars you know, in terms of maybe just donate. I don't know. 500 bucks or something. Nowadays, nowadays you can get some Fiverr to do a website for you. Jeepers, creepers, oh, team. This yeah. is an example of 1990s. It is poor. So I actually, <laughs> so I've got, I got the email through because um, I did ask him to send me through a bit of an update. And it was actually from the race winner, Rob Gray. And <laughs> so the results, the results they put up are all on a whiteboard. So he took a picture oh, of the whiteboard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but his report was uh, Jeremy Hopwood. And day one, so day one, they do the double uh, Ironman swim and then they bike 90 k's around towards the volcano very hilly ride uh, and then the second day they do the big uber long bike ride and then the third day they do the double marathon basically from harvey all the way down the queen k uh, just brutal running so day one jeremy hopwood dominated the swim but then had uh, then rob gray had the ride of his life to claim a uh, decent lead and then day two good old arnold sulikov made an eddie merck style breakaway right at the start and held it to the end of day two nice he had a fantastic performance that day it was wet slippery and super windy going up the kahalas and the, the descent so you have this descent when you go up the kahalas you go up through waimea and you turn right and you've got this beautiful climb um, and you go sort of a long way to harvey and then you have this downhill that's fast and the road can be slippery even when it's dry which sounds a bit silly but if you get a bit of wet up there there's quite a few oh. trees on either side and you get leaves on the road and stuff it's really sketchy and he said the descent down to Harvey was super sketchy he played it safe because he wanted to stay alive but Arno took all sorts of risks hitting 90 plus kilometres an hour and the road was wet and slippery he thinks he rode the descent around 6 minutes faster than Rob uh, so that was the story on day 2 and then day 3 Rob started the day with a 40 minute lead on Jeremy Howard and tw another 24 minutes on Arlon Sulikov the Frenchman took a flyer off the front and was seven minutes faster through 10k really <laughs> that's impressive uh, Jeremy went through the marathon 22 minutes before Rob so remembering he only had 40 minutes on him so if they kept at that same pace he's going to lose by four minutes so he knew he had to dig deep in the second marathon Arnold slowed down and he passed him uh, going up to a scenic lookout but Jeremy didn't let up he finished with a 624 for the double marathon that's solid. That's, that's three, impressive, man. It's two three twelves in that sort of heat. After what you've already done, three, yeah. Uh, for the double marathon, he had to dig deep and very deep, and he put in a um, Rob put in a three twenty nine for his second marathon, and ended up with a winning margin of only four minutes. Wow, that's pretty cool. So first place you had Rob Gray, did twenty one hour, uh, twenty two hours nineteen minutes. Second place Jeremy Howard in twenty two minute twenty two hours twenty three minutes. And third place was Arnold Sulikov in 23 hours and 17 minutes. First female was Cherie Steinberg in 26 hours and it looks like six minutes. And only had th three girls. Uh, second was Amy Craft. 
and 30 hours 37 and third place Fiona Sim Simulink in 30 hours and 45 minutes nice work so yeah you got you all you guys how many finishes are there there must be about 25 or so yep everybody donate $200 to I'm the ultra even, even, even their sponsors they've got bike works which is a famous sponsor or bike shop in Kona they haven't even got a crisp font on there. It's like a photo taken from 20 years ago. So, so come, come on, on Ultraman. Ultraman. Ultraman community. Somebody start a GoFundMe page or one of exactly. those pages. Sharpen up. Raise them a thousand bucks. And the photo they got on the front page. They've had that for there for 20 years. Get, the guys get, have aged in the photo. Yeah. The young guys in the photo. But it could be a strategy. It could be a strategy that they Oh, we're they making no money. They don't want um, loads more. They don't want a professional feel. They don't want loads more people. They want to keep it real old school, real simple. But... Just quickly, so, um, we also had the now Western Sydney seventy point three. Was it the Asia Pacific Champions? Say that again. Was the seventy point three in Western Sydney? Was it was the Asia Pacific seventy point three? Dan Wilson took that out over Tim Reed and Brandon Curry. Had a pretty sprint, close sprint finish to the finish. Yes. And then the females Melissa Holschild and Felicity Sheedy Ryan and Amelia Watkinson from New Zealand got third. So. Good to see Mel Halstein still going because we interviewed her. A few, well, I think I did interviewed her a few years ago in Kona. She was on her last legs in terms of uh, she had these permanent broken ribs or something like that, and she thought it was pretty much game over. But she's still racing and she's racing like, well. And, and she's the Asia Pacific champion. Nice. Here we go. Anyway, we're going to go interview Matt Dixon right now. We're back in a second. And we are back. We just interviewed Matt Dixon, which we're going to have on soon. He's a pretty insightful man, so we'll get that on to you guys soon. But before we do, we're going to talk about Ironman Western Australia is coming up, Jombo. It is indeed. As I mentioned earlier on, Terenzo Bazzoni is the defending champion and is in some great form. It's just a case of whether he's got enough juice in the tank to get through this race and see if he can absolutely smoke it. But very strong field. You've got Terenzo, you've got Tim Van Berkel, Cam Brown is in the search in the prime of his career. Not in the prime of his career. Probably the twilight, the twilight John. The twilight of his twilight. career. Still searching for that elusive sub-eight-hour performance. Uh, it's gonna, we could potentially have a key we po uh, trifecta here That'd be awesome, that would be it? awesome in yeah. Australia because we've got Terenzo Cameron Brown Dougal Allen and Callum Millwood in there as well uh, you've got Tim Van Berkel and Cameron Wirth who's just crushing it on the bike and pretty strong field isn't it yeah for Luke Bell you've yeah. got Teak Jacobs so $50,000 race 2,000 pointer um, very good men's side of the field and on the girls side of the field Yvonne Van Vlerken uh, Mel Halstein who did the half last weekend and winning there and Carrie Lester so you've got Three top quality athletes there. You know, Carrie Lester has been extremely fast and wrote and had some top tens in Kona. And the other two girls uh, should be should be a really good race. All those, all three are predicted to come in via Torsten's ratings at eight fifty seven. Oh, so we have a race have on, John. A race on. Okay, this week's discussion. So last week we were just asking, what can pros do to help? You know, what do the good pros do, and what can the pros do to make you follow them in? You know, and basically getting a following around themselves, which probably makes them more marketable, makes them more make more money, um, and also just helps the sport overall. So, John, you go first. Uh, good old Richard Speedwalker Swan. I personally only follow guys that I've met in person, and so I know they're all good guys. I don't follow Z grade celebrities that I do not personally know, so I have the same attitude towards athletes. Belfong's got um, have a sense of humour, be humble and genuine in nature. Don't take yourself too seriously. Interact with your fans on social media and in person. And post a mixture of things that don't just bang on about one thing, e.g. 
endless photos of another bloody wind trainer session. <laughs> Pros that come to mind who, who I can think of who do this well is Callum Millwood, Lyds Batchford, and Tim Reid. Uh, Dougal Allen, who's over there racing. Hey, wait a second. I think Belle won a race last weekend. I saw her on Facebook. I think she won like a first a triathlon or something. I just saw a photo of her raising her arms and she was looking pretty happy. So if you did, well done, Belle. Great. Dougal Allen, who is a pro himself, racing in Western Australia. Awesome thread, following with interest. Personally, I've always tried to look up to pros that show the balance between athletic drive and non-triathlon aspects of life, especially family. But anything that, uh, anything that matters, whether it's politics, environment, music or craft beer. Nice. Thomas O'Quirk has got, don't be a dick. <laughs> be human. Don't show every single tweet as a training advertisement. Show us that you are human, but mainly just don't be a dick. Uh, Paul O'Dowdy, uh, good old pod. Be authentic and not try to be something you aren't. Brownlee Gomez, Frodo, Sebi, Sanders, um, etc. All honest and come across as no BS guys. Alan Hutchinson's got quite a few comments about being humble and down-to-earth pros. Although I think they do get a lot of people following them for their real reasons uh, is what is the opposite approach. Mecca, Starkey, one could say these guys are the total opposite of the, what most people are describing, yet I would say they have a lot of followers, which is really true. Mm. You know, like actually being willing to push the edge is often attractive as well. Dave Dowdy, I'm looking for insight, something that does not come out from the media. It must be real, authentic, and not a marketing opportunity. And that's another theme that comes through. People get a little bit tired if, if, if you're someone that just constantly plugging your, your brands and not much it's else. It's with that because I'm sponsored by Reebok, and, and, I, and I'm pretty hopeless on social media, so I probably will lose my sponsorship eventually. But um, they, they want you to post pretty much three times a week for them. Mm. And like I don't post, that. I post once every kind of two weeks. Yeah. And if you post everything, you know, like it's like, oh, that's, I don't want to be doing that, you yeah. know, like it's really hard. And so, you know, it is a hard thing for a pro because sure you get a deal. Like I think nowadays there's a big expectation of what you're going to have to give in return mm -hmm. with a sponsorship and they want the social media nowadays. So it's definitely a, a, a challenge of getting that balance right because if I were to do three Reebok posts a week, which I, I'm not really putting my end of the bargain in, it means I probably have to do 40 posts a week, mm. which... For me, I'm just not that involved in social media. Ian Farrell's got pretty simple here. He's got training details, sense of humour, videos, something different slash unique. Uh, Aaron Lee says, take a lesson from Team Wirtle. Heather Wirtle and Trevor Wirtle, 100%. Um, I'll do one more. I'll go right to the top. And I think at the top we had Dave Hayward. He's got, I'm looking for professional athletes in any sports that are role models for my kids. Good sports. No uh, scandalous issues. Solid work ethic. I always love watching Crowey because he comes across as a real family man. I like role models that show hard work pays off, but you can still be a normal human being. Last one I'll do. Ian Farrell, uh, training details, sense of humour, videos, something different. I've already humor. done that one. You have? Yeah, just like that was my last one. <laughs> right. It's the story of my life. <laughs> you said something about family there. You said something about Crowey. Yeah, that was up top. Oh, yeah, because it was one I did before, the one you did. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Dave Hayward, I listen was, to everything you say. It's just like did. I listen to everything my wife says. Yep. Everything. Every, Always. And, and you show understanding at all times. You don't yeah. just problem solve to her, do you, John? Right. Okay, John, your thoughts? Uh, well, I'm a bit like you. I'm not a big social media person. Not on Twitter. Not on... I'm not really... No, just, no, I don't really follow people. If I was <laughs> going to follow people, it would, would more be for not necessarily the entertainment value, but more looking at training and race, you know, race reports training stuff so I'd be more looking for stats and content rather than uh, comedy or anything like that that's just me but I'm not really a social media follower I would say a deeper insight in all levels so so I, I do think your personality is really important 
Um, you know, if you are going to put videos as stuff, it does need to have some entertainment factor to it. Mm-hmm. But you know, like, if we look at Macca, the thing about Macca is, like him or dislike him, the guy's bloody honest. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's and he's gonna he's gonna tell you the details, and it makes him really appealing. There's just he gives us a deeper level. He'll talk about how much you earned as a pro. He'll, you know, he he kind of just will say, you know, what a lot of people like. I remember we once interviewed Kieran Doe. Remember we interviewed Kieran Doe, and I was like, oh, I'm not sure what I can say, yeah. and and it was just he was a little bit unsure. And, um, you know, whereas someone like Mackey, he gives us a deeper insight into the sport because he's just so honest. And I find that really appealing. And so when you get a pro who does give us that deeper insight, it definitely makes them more appealing, you know. So mm-hmm. there's, I don't think there's one answer to this question because then you look at Callum Millwood, who's a pure entertainer, mm. but he does a great job of it. And like his cupcakes, he doesn't do it anymore, does he? I think uh, there's a lot of work for him. But yeah. but. It was a cool angle. It got everyone in the sport. It was a big bit of a community thing. So there's not necessarily one way. I do think you need to be true to your personality, but at the same time, I love the. I do love it when someone gives you something. And you go, oh, I, n- I never knew that, and mm. it's really cool to know that. And even just, you know, like some of the deeper insight into the what's happening in the pro world and stuff like that. Now everyone's so PC in our sport. That's why someone like mm. Mecca shines out. You know, look at some other sports where everyone's pretty like Mecca. Then it's a, maybe we would prefer. A, kind of less of that but yeah that, that's probably what appeals to me this week Christmas is coming so you can share some thoughts what best the best triathlon item you've bought this year it can be a small scale it can be large scale it might give people some ideas for Christmas presents you know one thing I was thinking of the other day John is how many people are barefoot running now uh, not a great deal not that I've seen. That fad really went through, didn't it? It did. Uh, I know. I, I know the argument is get your feet stronger and, and you know and mm. all the rest of it and, and leaning and front foot landing. I'm, and stuff. I'm planning on doing not some barefoot running, but I've got my old pair of five fingers. Thanks, Pete McLeod. Uh, and Pete McLeod, I've seen him a lot the other day. Yeah, and I'll I plan if I can get this running sorted. I'm not 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 in a good patch. Sixteen minutes ain't happening. I am not in a purple patch. <laughs> you're not in a purple patch. Uh, you're going to find out soon that John was yeah, right. Uh, uh, it wasn't um, about a rabbit. But I am planning on doing a bit of uh, bit of running with him. I don't really want to do the barefoot because where I'd go would be grass and yep. I'd probably get pins and needles all through my bloody feet um, but no I still see real value in it but it's just a matter of integrating it into a run as a skills exercise rather than a philosophy of I'm going to run bare feet all the time it's it's yeah more of a like doing a drill basically I just I find it really fascinating maybe a discussion we can have in the future is the fads that faded away because mm-hmm. that was all go back three or four years ago oh, yeah I remember a guy doing a Christchurch marathon. He was a big unit too. Not not overweight, but he was probably about 6'4", and a solid 6'4". Mm. And it was freezing. It yeah, was yeah. one of the, I think it was the year you did it, actually. Remember? Yeah, it was yeah really, that got really cold. Yeah. He did be, the marathon in bare feet. Mm. Oh, and I was thinking, mate, you, you, you know, I think you're cool right now, but... Uh. Anyway, uh, one, two, three, four. Ha-fa! We had the big pack and save triathlon John, festival at the I weekend. I did see your water bottle. <laughs> we'll go through that later on because I was going to bring that up too. <laughs> and uh, I, I had to, no, we'll go through that later on. Okay. Like I got, went on the front. On a race director, sort out your order orders as tip Good number one. Good point. <laughs> Have some, yeah. So some I'm proofing. I just share a few things on being a race director because I had this big race at the weekend and it's, for me, it's a big race. You know, we had about 420, yep. 430 people racing. So it's a, it's a good sized race, but it's a very, you know, it's a sprint triathlon. Entry fees are sort of 60, 70 bucks. Um, it's not like you've got tens of thousands of dollars to employ people. So it's more or less is a one-man band yep. with a lot of um, support. W- with some sort of some more support on race day. So um, if you're thinking about 
doing a race here, organising a race, here are a few things you can do and also might give you a bit of insight into what I try to focus on. And I'm not trying to pretend I'm the best race director in the world, but I think I do a pretty good job um, for the value, the amount of yeah. money that people pay for an entry fee. I think they get pretty good value for money. Um, so first thing, always try to do is put yourself in the athlete's uh, shoes. So, and I I just go to so many races and I sometimes think that the race director is not necessarily doing that. Um, and so just little things, you know, um, f f if you're trying to organise a race, think about the things when you've been in an event that really piss you off uh, and try to get, again, get on the front foot and make sure it doesn't happen. So a few things that annoy me is things like long, really, really long prize givings. Yeah. It's like people oh, yeah. just switch off and they just get sick of it. We had a shitload of prizes to get through at the weekend, but I tried as hard as I could and had a plan to try to keep it moving so it's, um, if I'm doing prize giving, it is happening quickly. If you've got to, again, you've got to celebrate the people who are yeah. getting the prizes, but you've got to move it along at just the right pace. And hopefully, I got that right mix. Uh, and then other things for me this year, I took a change from you know doing race briefings and in a lot of smaller races. You know, you do your race briefing just before the start. Mm. This year, I thought, bugger that, I'm doing a a two-minute safety briefing, and I actually timed myself before. It was a little bit over two minutes, I think a two and a half, but I'd put, put an online race briefing and put all the information online and said, you've got to read this. I'm not going through the course on race day. Um, so really trying to get on the front foot of those things. Other things that annoy me at races is poorly marked out courses, inaccurate distances and things like that. Try to get those things right. Just on that, one thing is, as well is to think of different personality types. Mm. You know, like for me, I'm so airy-fairy, and so things that wouldn't be, like details don't bother me, you know, and I'm not going to get upset about details. Whereas like Joe is a real details person and we're quite lucky in our relationship with our business because Joe really will look at all the details and I can get frustrated with people come up to me who I'm just seeing as being anal, but mm. their race is really important to them. And so it's really important that you are aware of different people's perspectives. And so nowadays as in the running business, when people come up to me who are a bit more anal, I've got to go, no, no, this is really important to help them de-stress. And so you've just got to be aware of, like John's point there, of put yourself in other athletes' shoes. It's not just the experience, but how they're going to interpret the experience. Because then, you know, I can think, okay, we need to be a bit more detailed because for people like that, that's really important. So I have a, about a, a 10 to, I don't know how many pages, a 10 to 15 page race manual, and I have a, a two page summary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so then and I wouldn't of, even read the summary. So <laughs> the main thing is, is if someone comes up to me and asks a question, I think he can then say, have it's in the that? race manual. Yeah. And then they've got nothing to come back at. Yeah. Uh, get on the front foot by providing as much information as possible, a brief version and a full version. I've just said that yeah. anyway. Um, next one, try to set ex athlete expectations in the right place. And so what I mean by that, so my event at the head of the weekend, um, I try to make it a professionally run event and you've got some sponsors you've got to look after and, and that's sort of the, I'm trying to get across it. This is a professional event. Um, we've got timing chips, we're going to have results, all that sort of stuff. At the same time, I also have other events that I run that are grass level events and, and you might be paying sort of 30 or 40 bucks to enter and really important to, again, make sure that people, when people rock up, they know. It's an old school triathlon. I'm getting a race number like and a result yeah. and that's it. Yeah. Uh, just so they don't get disappointed. You're much better off having the people who are expecting the you know, the Ironman experience potentially not turning up if that's not their John, here's a funny story. Mike Pirro, who mm. you met him a few months ago. Mike Pirro is a famous New Zealand businessman. <coughs> He's got a mortgage company and so on. And he once said to me, here we go, here, this is a funny story. He said to me, set the expectations low and then over deliver. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to email you some stuff. He didn't email me yet. <laughs> so he sent them low and didn't deliver. <laughs> um, number four, uh, 
expect few volunteers um, and rely on paid fundraising groups. So, for example, I think I probably had about 45 to 50 um, helpers on the race day. Um, three quarters of them are from paid volunteer groups. So I have a, a, like a dragon boating team and, uh, and some local lions. Really don't expect people to give you a lot of help. And that's not being mean, that's being no, realistic. What time, Paul? When you ask for volunteers, you get the same old people. I just get they're so helpful, the people that help me. And I'm infinitely thankful for it but it's usually you know five or six mm. and and that's after sending out an email to you know a database of maybe 2000 mm. you're getting you know maybe five or six responses if that so just expect little help well, just with that how do you train the people uh, again it's about giving them the information but if you're a marshal you don't need a lot of training it's point them this way and then so I have a, dire a swim director a bike director a run director and they go around the course um, before and just making sure that, that each person knows okay. what they're doing and then they've got an information sheet on, on what they're supposed to be doing but it's okay. th it's about putting the people that don't know much in the simple positions and putting your experienced people in the uh, in the key positions you know bike mount dismount etc uh, and then final point number five is learn about what funding you might be able to get in your local area so there are quite a few angles where you can get uh, for example New Zealand, you know, I can get a little bit of funding often from council. You can often go to a New Zealand through um, gaming trusts and things like that. So you'll be surprised that there are grants available out there. Often you need to be part of a club to be able to access them. So running events through clubs is helpful. And especially if you have kids' events, there's often a far greater chance of getting some money. So it's just a few tips on race directing. And there is only five today. Oh, no. Well, six. Talk about the bottles, but it's coming later in the it's show. It's coming later. Okay, we've got a great interview up with Matt Dixon. He's got a new book out called The Fast Track Triathlete. This is a great interview. Matt's a bit of a wise man. So here is Matt Dixon. Okay, guys, we've got uh, Matt Dixon on the co on the show today. Super coach from Purple Patch. Worked with many pro athletes over the years, as no doubt you've heard. Also works with age group athletes and uh, has got a new book out, Fast Track Triathlete, Balancing the Big Life in long course triathlon. So welcome back to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me, guys, once again. Really appreciate it. Just first of all, Purple Patch, what, what, what's the meaning? It's actually, uh, it's great. It's, uh, it's, it's to confuse my American friends, as I'm obviously based in San Francisco, but it's an English saying, uh, which means uh, loosely translated, as it were, a timing life when you're performing at your optimal level. Ah. So it's that, it's that sort of period of flow where you can't put a foot wrong and while we, while we can't live in that state of, of wonder all of our lives, we can try and um, aspire to have more of them in our life. And that's sort of part of the, the puzzle and the solution that we try and create. I think I was pretty much right there yeah. earlier in the show when I, he asked me that question. Yep, yep, yep. So, so you're you've, got, you've got your new book out. Maybe just give us your, your sort of your one minute overview your elevator pitch. Of, of what, what your book's all about and, and your motivation for doing it. Sure. Yeah, I'll give you my my quick and dirty. Well, let me let me explain first. It's not for the professional athlete. This is a uh, you know this is my second book. The first was sort of a, a grand reveal of my philosophy and my approach to the sport. And uh, and this is really a book that's written specifically for that time-starved athlete that is looking to integrate this sport, this wonderful sport, this really healthy sport into a very busy life. So many, many amateur athletes that have the challenge of juggling work, family and life commitments, and yet they still aspire to have great results. And the solution that we're looking for, as probably we'll dive into a little bit today, is not just to get good sporting results, but do so without 
the compromise of your performance in your health, your work and your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the reason we do this is is to be honest uh, and I have to be frank, this is not theory. This book is not theoretical. It's really come off the last uh, 10 to 15 years that we've been doing this with very, very busy athletes that I work with. I tend to work with a lot of CEOs, a lot of executives that are integrating travel, family commitments. And we've managed to sort of do some out of the box thinking, some, I think, pragmatic mindset to their approaching to to create great results. And uh, and I feel like this is a void that's missing in the sport. I think there's a lot of dogma in the sport. And I see a lot of people underperforming relative to the effort they're putting in. And so I decided that I, I've always had this mindset of education and I've always had a belief that coaches should share and contribute to the conversation, not just try and hide behind some secretive methodology. So uh, so this is really my my hope that I can uh, help people find a little bit of uh, performance within the scope of a very busy life. When you say, you know, for time crunch athletes, does that typically with you mean time crunch means we've got to be efficient with our use of time, which means high intensity training, even though you're doing Ironman. So is, it, is, it, is, it, is your, a lot of this high intensity work within the, within the workouts? Well, there's a lot of variance. There's, I think it's always dangerous just to throw a blanket over it and say, okay, you've got less hours, so therefore you have to do high intensity. I think that's an, an element of it. But the, the, the bigger problem, I think, or, or the, the, the better way to say it, is that people have a defined capacity to train. And if we, if we start at the starting point of saying, it is a non-negotiable that you are healthy. It's a non-negotiable that you do well at your work and you have time to have some semblance of a social life and be there for your family and friends. How much time do you have left over? And one of the challenges that many athletes or one of the things that many athletes do is to try and fit an unsustainable program into life. And so mm-hmm. they try and squeeze their perceived amount of training hours that they think is necessary for them to be successful in half Ironman or Ironman. So they chase their toes trying to cram 20 hours a week in and they end up failing. They either underperform or they go through too many cycles of sickness and injury and everything else. And I'm sure you guys see it all the time. Mm. So, So this is really more of an optimization challenge to say, let's actually look at how many hours you have, you have, whoever the you is, an individual, how many hours do you have now? How do we optimize? And so it's not a, hey, less is more. That's not the message. Because if less is more, I would train my professional athletes 12 hours a week. But the message is, with how many hours you have, how do you maximize it? And then how do you manage when you have a bit more breathing room and life gives you time to train more? You should train more. When life constricts and you have to travel or have work deadlines or you have a sick kid, how do you actually maintain specificity and progression when you have even less time to train. And so it's more of a methodology. It's not, hey, let's, this is a get rich quick sort of scenario because that doesn't happen in the sport. There are no shortcuts. Mm-hmm. But what there is as a pragmatic methodology that gives people tools to scale due to fatigue, due to time sensitivity or being time crunched and go from there. So, so yeah, if you only have 10 to 12 hours a week, then you're going to have more intensity in your program than if you have 30 hours a week to train like some professional athletes. But 
but it's not just a, hey, go do more high intensity. You know, one, of, one of the things I imagine you have to work with athletes who are time poor is expectations around the goal. So, you know, if, if I've got more, like 20 hours to train in comparison to 10 to 12, obviously maybe the goal needs to shift. So how much is that for you as a coach is about shifting perceptions around the challenge? It, it, it is a factor. Uh, now, interestingly, our last, I think, three, uh, yeah, three, three athletes that won their age group in Hawaii were at the same time were CEOs. So oh. that, so, so that's so. Yes, but is always the, the solution. But we have a we have a saying which is always performance within context. Mm-hmm. And so what that means is actually we want you to achieve great performance within context of your life. So if someone comes to us and says, hey, I want to win my age group in Hawaii and uh, and they just have an absolutely crazy life where they're traveling to Beijing and London and New York and back to L.A. and don't have any capacity and only have eight hours a week. Well, there's a misalignment with the probable outcome that you're going to have. And so so we, we do a lot of athletes of trying a, a lot of work on trying to build training plans and racing schedules and goals that align with the commands or the demands, I should say, of life. And so, yeah, I think that performance in context is great. And, and I'll tell you, you know, I work with a, um, a wonderful guy who's actually not a triathlete, uh, but he's a, uh, a very well-known VC uh, venture capitalist in the, in the Bay Area. And when he started working with me, he said, he said this great saying that we actually use with our athletes where he said, I want you to help me reach 90% of my potential. Well, if you're talking about Tim Reed or Sebastian Keenley, that's not good enough. World-class performance is as close to 100% as you can. But his message was, look, I want to swim and I want to ride and I want to get within 90%, which is really good because I also want to paint and travel and have a really full life and still excel in my job. And so that sort of was the birth many years ago of this performance within context, as we said. And it's not limiting. It's not It's not about saying people you can't. It's about how do we and what's really realistic within the scope of your life. I think that's absolutely a factor. Yeah. So what about, you know, a lot of people will be listening to this going, well, I, I get it, you know, I've only got 10 to 12 hours to train per week, but... I've got to go out there and race for nine to 12 hours if I'm sort of towards the, the front end of my age group. And, and I'd like to go for my, I, I find in the past I need to do my 100 mile bike rides. And so what, what's sort of your advice to those people to give them peace of mind that maybe doing a little bit less, they are still going to be able to achieve an Ironman finish in good time or do their expectations need to change? Say maybe it's somebody who's got, Going from having no kids to having kids, and they're going to have their time slash. You know, what's some of the opportunity costs from from training less? Yeah, I mean, the the last piece you said there, the kids factor. That's a that that is a real conversation because if someone has a busy life and then adds a kid into the equation, the initial season, I think, and this actually goes all the way up to the pro level. Uh, male or female, and, and obviously the female from the physical side, but even if you're a, a new father, let's say, that is a huge factor. And um, and I think that that is a conversation around expectations and management of that. But globally, it's absolutely not a, hey, you've been training 16 or 20 hours a week, and 
more than likely, if that is a unsustainable program, you have faced either underperformance relative to the effort you've put in or a consistent cycle of injury and sickness. And it's not, and so it's not about, it's about reframing the discussion and saying, what you need to create is sustainability. Consistency is the magic word in performance across all sports, and it's particularly in our sport. You need to create consistency. And so what we have athletes do is say, let's go through a cycle where it's not about just the accumulation of training. It's about training effectively, applying a training stress and achieving a positive adaptation. And so if we can really sustainably layer on weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months of effective training that achieves positive adaptation, if you now add up all of those training weeks over many, many weeks, because as we said before, there is no shortcut to this, when you actually look at those hours, that is what creates readiness. Now, within the scope of it, if an athlete is getting ready for an Ironman, there is an undeniable need to occasionally hit some big sessions. So this isn't like, hey, you only need to ride two hours every weekend and you're gonna be ready to do a wonderful 112 mile bike ride or 180K and still run off the bike. And so what we do with very busy athletes that can sustainably hit 10 to 12 hours a week is we say, hey, in the last build in, try and identify two to three weekends that I can that you can really block aside and you get buying from the rest of the family or buying from work that you can go out and do a little block of work. So we do strategically try and encourage athletes to to block in opportunities for those confidence building and strength endurance resilience uh, sessions or blocks of work that we get in. But on a week to week basis, it's about effective training performed um, sustainably. You know, you, you, the thing about you, Matt, is that you do deal with a lot of the top-end pros and also the amateur. What are some of the differences that you really kind of see in how a pro will train in an amateur and some of the kind of mindset and practical tips that they would look at? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it's almost like I have to have a Jekyll and Hyde personality. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and, I, and I think that's actually, I, I think that's really important to acknowledge as a coach. So with a professional athlete, our pro squad, all the pros that I've ever, I've ever coached, it is unapologetically world-class performance. And so what I mean by that is pretty much if you genuinely want to excel in the sport, most of your life is wrapped around the sport. So training becomes first and all of the supporting elements, the critical supporting elements such as sleep, nutrition, fueling, recovery, that's the starting point. And then around that, we try and integrate or, or, or support with a normal life as much as possible because we want them to enjoy it and not live like monks. But it is unapologetically, well, unapologetically world-class performance. I think it should be very, very different for an amateur athlete. Where I believe success for an amateur athlete is, yes, we want to improve. Yes, we might have lofty goals such as winning your age group or qualifying to Hawaii or finishing your first Ironman. And all of those are great, but they want to sit within the scope of a greater goal. And the true greater goal should be that by integrating this sport into your life, 
which I think is a really healthy sport. It's swimming, cycling and running, all body, different challenges, different emotional escapes as well. By doing this, you should be able to achieve your, your, your goals, but you should be healthy and improve your health. You should actually, by doing this, thrive in the workplace. You should be a better version of yourself that you can bring to your friends and family. That is the aspirational goal. And if you keep that in scope, that's where I tend to see athletes that successfully continue to love the sport, continue to improve, and are way less inclined to suffer the big peaks and valleys of emotions and not be identified by the sport and also actually not fall into the trap of some really unhealthy behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, so it's a really different mindset practically from a training standpoint. Uh, and, and, and I'll shut up in a second, but from a training <laughs> standpoint, the, the goal is simple with the professional athlete, which is to absolutely maximize training load while achieving positive adaptations period. With the age grouper, as we sort of talked about before, it's let's get a real landscape of life. We're not just we're not just worried about how much they can absorb physically. It's how much they can absorb physically without it compromising your energy and your ability to thrive in the other areas of your life. And so that's why we start from the other side of the equation to say, let's build life blocks first and then integrate the sport into it rather than with the pro build the training and then say great and you know what if you want to go and visit your grandmother maybe you've got space but uh not if it comes in front of training but as a coach you know obviously you know you are looking out for the the person as an for an amateur as a whole how much do you see it as your responsibility to pull them up on the fact that they aren't maybe you know they are doing training too much to the point to detriment of life and when you do do that or if you do do that do you experience resistance from your athletes because they're like, well, you're just my triathlon coach. Who are you to say? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. It's um, I, I do see that as uh, as our responsibility, and I think it starts at the cultural level. So I think there's a certain type of athlete that that Purple Patch appeals to, and uh, and look, we have many high performing amateur athletes, but I think we tend to attract people that want high performance, but also want to thrive in life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it's not just high performance full stop. And so it starts yeah. at a cultural level. And when you have that at a cultural level, even in our San Francisco training squad, that spreads all the way across. And even into our professional squad in, in many factors, probably a reason that so many of our pros happen to have kids at the same time. Um, I think we've got a disproportionate number of <laughs> parents that are pros. But... Um, uh, but it starts at the cultural level. And when you start with that and consistently our, our amateur athletes are absolutely peppered with education about the subjects, how do you actually mitigate the stresses of travel, the importance of sleep and how to integrate it, why fueling is important for energy levels in your day. When we have such a big focus on education rather than just being prescriptive, hey, here's your swim, bike and run that when that becomes part of the culture, it opens the door for the conversations. And, and in fact, the truth is, the way that I work with most of my individual athletes that outside of my pros tend to be really busy sort of C-level executives and those types of people, that's what they seek. They actually seek, yeah, I want to do the sport, but I want to thrive over here. So it starts to stray into 
a phrase that I'm not a fan of, life coach in many ways, I, and, uh, and looking at the big picture. And the, the bizarre thing, the ironic thing, the great thing, is when you pull people back like that, if they buy in, and then they tend to accelerate in their sporting performance. And that's really the magic thing. And if they don't buy in, then they'll leave. And that's okay. And they'll probably yeah. continue to struggle. So, um, it, you know, so it's, it is a yin and yang and there is a challenge, but very rarely because of the education, because of the culture, very rarely do you get an athlete turning around saying, hey, sit in your corner. I don't want to hear about that. Because uh, I think most people are looking for the global solution in the sport. Now you've um, you've worked with you know a variety of different um, pro athletes, but you've recently taken on a different challenge. Andrew Talansky, former Tour de France rider, um, pro rider, is on the Garmin team. Uh, I can't remember the names of the other teams that he was on, but um, obviously a very very good cyclist. And I did see that he did his did a triathlon fairly recently. I think he might have won it overall. Um, clearly a very good cyclist. We've seen other cyclists transition across and do do well. Um, so what, where's he at? And uh, what do you think his, your expectations are for, for where he can take it? Is it just a, is it just for a bit of fun? Um, or is he you know looking to, to, to race pro? Oh, I think he'll have fun, but he's, he's very much, uh, very much uh, going to be racing as a professional. And... Um, I think he's, he's, he's caused uh, uh, some, some ruffles over here in the US. I'm not sure if it's spread to the greater triathlon world, but whenever you have a truly world-class athlete that hops across sports and starts on another journey, people are going to uh, turn and look and be interested. The interesting thing about Andrew is he's only 29. He just, yeah. uh, he just turned 29. So he's had this, this top-of-the-game, world-class sort of uh, career in cycling and now has the chance to actually create a whole nother career at the world-class level. But in honesty, you know, I think that it would be really unfair on him and us as a coaching team to expect world-class to truly happen in the first year. In fact, I, I, I would imagine that if all goes well and he is a, a good athlete that can develop gradually, I, I would imagine it being a two or three year journey to get up towards the world-class level in triathlon. And, um, and he has, you know, he, he, he did do his first triathlon and that was, it, I'd been coaching him for six days. So I said, it was, a, <laughs> it was, it was all, I said, if you, if you mess it up, it's, uh, it's not my problem. If you win overall and then it's definitely the magic of purple. <laughs> But the truth is, it was a it was a local Olympic distance. There there weren't many athletes there, and it was um it was a, it's a lovely little race. But it was really actually just to get his feet wet and experience. And he had a wonderful time. Uh, but now now the journey begins, and the, the challenge for him as an athlete is to gradually progress the running without him getting injured, because mm. he has this huge developed engine clearly. Andy has a great ability to suffer. Andy understands what, uh, and he's highly motivated. Andy understands what hard work is, but his chassis is not prepared for it. And so uh, many people would have the instinct, he's got the bike, why don't you just throw a bunch of running miles at him? Well, it's because his chassis will break. We have to be very, very careful and almost pulling a leaf from the, um, the sustainability side of an amateur athlete. We need to create a sustainable program and we cannot rush his progression as a runner. 
uh, we need to lean into his biking. We need to maintain the biking strength. Um, I, I don't think I'll be able to gloat about turning him into a great cycling triathlon cyclist, but uh, <laughs> but we want to keep that strength. Now, the good thing in his favour is he does have a little bit of a swimming background in high school and a little bit of a running background. So the tools are there, but it's been many years. And so I think he's got a fun journey ahead of him that he can gain experience I think he'll um, he'll mix it up in the pro ranks and over the coming years, uh, not months, he will develop into into probably becoming a a key influencer in the sport, whatever that means. And I don't think anyone can can be the guess of really what that means. But but I do know that his ambition lies in the Hawaii man and being competitive at the at the world-class level that's the ambition that's the goal and that's what we have to go about starting to create so you might tell us to go and uh, talk to him about this but if he's only 29 and you know you're on cyclists are going to be making a hell of a lot more money than uh, triathletes and he was a guy I, I can't remember one year if he won the tour of california but i remember watching and he was either winning it or uh, or he did win it um what was his motivation to sort of make the switch and, and hang up his cycling shoes he just had enough or was there other things no, I, I think it's and it's it's probably a, a question best asked to him himself. But uh, but in my conversations, I, I really bought into uh, his reasons. I, I really understood it. And and in fact, when we we had several conversations before we said, "Hey, let's work with each other." But he was um he felt like a purple patch athlete to me. And this is the, this is the and this is what I'm getting to is. I think he became somewhat disillusioned with cycling because I think he's a purist and he loves and has always been attracted by swimming, cycling and running my best effort, me against me, let me see what I can do. Mm -hmm. And that part of the sport really appealed to him. What didn't appeal to him in cycling, while he obviously had a great adventure, had some wonderful results, was the uh the the stage dynamics of sort of getting through a stage of the tour de france and success being not crashing on many of the stages <laughs> and um and it just it just didn't appeal to that side of him i'm sure he can go into more of that but the other side of it as well is he's um he's got a newborn who's seven months old and uh being a a continental professional cyclist means traveling all over the world going to many many training camps uh, being stationed away from your family and triathlon gives him the opportunity to actually be present as a father be in control of his training plan be in control of his racing schedule to to much of a degree and actually go on this new adventure and so i don't think it was as much i don't like cycling i'm going to turn my back on it it was more I've got this massive appeal to this really unique sport where the elements of it are really appealing, but I don't want to wait till I'm 35 to say, hey, I'm going to do it in the sunset of my performance. Why don't I do it now? And so it's a big risk for him, but it's it's also, I think it's great for the sport. When have we had uh, cyclists coming across at the peak of their career. And you've got Cameron Worth, obviously, who's, a, who's been a great addition to the sport. Now, over the coming years, we'll have Talansky. And hopefully that raises, if these guys do develop and they do bring a higher level of at least one of the disciplines, 
Wouldn't it be great if the whole sport rises because of the influence of some of these? I think it's a great thing. Outside of my own selfish endeavors of trying to help <laughs> help him do well, you know, I think it's great for the sport when when people from other sports come across. Well, we sent through a few questions, or we've got a few listeners to send through some questions. Duncan Penfold just got, how do you tell when it's time to change focus? Do you train VO2 for two months, then move back to the threshold for two months? Do you chop up the available time into appropriate size blocks, or do you test and change focus after the improvements have been banked? Goodness, how much... Uh... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How much time do you have? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, so the, the one thing I, I would say to start is, uh, let me answer this place, and I hope this is helpful. Uh, I, I never wholly emphasize one energy system. So throughout the year, we touch every energy system. It's just where we shine the light the brightest. Mm. And um, one of the we tend to apply with, and this is amateurs and pros, there's old school approach to the sport that is always around building base and building your foundation in the winter months, which to me doesn't make any sense from a practical standpoint because our sport is such an endurance sport that in the typical spring and summer months when people are riding outside and accumulating uh, more mileage globally because of good weather and racing, we are, by definition, building our base at that time by doing a lot of the training at long miles. So actually, in the winter months, we tend to have an upside-down focus where we work, focus on, yeah, first, firstly, technical, as it is right now in this sort of off-season or post-season, as we call it, technical and foundational sort of development of musculoskeletal system and, and connective tissue. And then we work on a lot of speed and a lot of power, uh, but we tend to never go in more than six to seven weeks in a row of a particular stimulus where we're shining that bright before we shift it. And, um, and it's too big of a question, unfortunately, in this forum. Maybe, <laughs> mm. oh, what, what was no, but I think that's a good answer. Duncan, yeah, it's uh, good. Yeah. Duncan, I'll write a blog on it. There we go. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> I'll write a blog on it. But yeah, six or seven weeks, then shift the stimulus. And, and, and basically, you're kind of doing a bit of everything in that shining the light kind of, kind of theory. Um, yes. Mick Simpson said, what piece of advice do, do you find that age groupers ignore the most and why shouldn't they? Uh, t two pieces of advice, the, the two biggest things. Number one, going easy enough in the easy days, and that's even in a time-crunched schedule. Uh, people tend to, uh, people tend to uh, go too hard on the easy days, and that's because they don't have focus, they don't have buying or understanding of what their program is. And when they go too hard on the easy days, it dilutes the effectiveness of the key specific sessions of that week or block. And so that ends up being diluted. You end up having a monotonous, uh, low variance type training schedule and people tend to accumulate more fatigue and get less of a yield from training. The second big problem, and I think it's the number one thing to get right, is athletes fueling or consuming calories immediately following workouts. I think it's way more of an important factor than actually consuming calories during workouts. People tend to treat themselves like foie gras geese and force feed themselves when they're training. But it's really post-training that becomes the important thing. And that, that achieves a few things. The first thing is recovery. The second thing is actually to turn off stress that's associated with training. 
and um, and it helps portion control, food choice, and energy management for the rest of the day. So those are the two big things that we start with first is post-workout fueling and going easy on the easy days. What do you think, uh, Joe Combs, Scott, what do you think is the best result you've had as a coach to date? It's, um, you know, it, I mean, it, it's hard to look by Tim Reed winning the World Championships last year. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's uh, a nice thing. But we have a, it, it's interesting, it's not just associated with my pro athletes. I, I love working at the world-class performance. I love pro, professional athletes improving but it's not actually always the results that get the headlines that are the most appealing mm-hmm. and um and i'll give you an example a, a, a woman that i work with that joined us four or five years ago and uh and over the course of uh she she couldn't walk up the flight of stairs and she was grossly overweight and she had some form of chronic fatigue and she's lost she's lost 100 pounds wow. and now finished finished a half ironman well, how can I not be proud of that? And working with one of my CEO guys that when he joined, he actually used to play in the NFL, the, um, uh, the professional football league, he used to play for the Seattle Seahawks, got into the sport, 47 years of age, looking for a coach. And, um, and every coach said to him, well, it's all, about, all a case of just not slowing down now that you're getting older. And I spoke to him. I said, what a bunch of nonsense. You've only been in the sport for two years. Let's get you faster. Let's get you qualified to Hawaii. That's what you want to do. And, um, and, and he did that. He got faster. He's 52 now. He's got faster every year. And just last week, he, man- he, and he managed to get his wife involved in the sport. And just last week, they both qualified to Hawaii. Wow. Well, that, that's, that's a wonderful source of pride. That's, and that's, you know, he's a CEO. He's really busy. Uh, they've got three kids, uh, one just going off to university. So they've got this very full life, and yet they've managed to integrate the sport. They've stayed healthy, and now they're going on this great journey. So the common thread of sort of Tim Reed and Marina, who lost 100 pounds, and Joe Terry, CEO, that qualifies to CEO of his wife, is is the pursuit of improvement. And And so that's where my pride comes from. It doesn't just come from athletes winning Ironman races, athletes qualifying. It's it's the defining backbone of trying to improve and become a better version of yourself. And and along the way, yeah, it's great to have qualifiers. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'd say that's the best way I could answer that. Okay, last question we had from Ben Boyd, um, really around recovery from races, especially if you're, say, doing a, a half Ironman long middle distance race, say, as, as a build-up to your key race. What do you what do you typically find? How long for athletes to recover? And let's let's take a, a you know somebody maybe in their forties. Obviously, for older athletes, it might take a bit longer. But any generic advice you've got around post race recovery from maybe your sort of B or C races leading into an Ironman? Yeah, re- really important. I think the first thing around recovery is to not go into the race over fatigue. So when people have been carry fatigue into a race and then race, recovery takes longer. So the first thing we want to do is get them into the race fresh so they come out quicker. But the, the, the biggest advice is get moving. So the worst thing you can do, the one way to lengthen your recovery time is to finish the race and be static for the next couple of days. So we actually tend to do... Um, after the race, if possible, we get them get the athletes moving. So if that means an afternoon spin, 
um, a walk in the afternoon or a uh, even a swim, that's great. But the next day, we often, so if it's a Sunday race, we'll often have athletes do somewhere between 60 minutes and even our pro athletes, a couple of hours of riding, really smooth, uh, nice and steady. The day following, so that would be the Tuesday, we do an easy swim, two or three K and a light run, 30 or 40 minutes. And then on Wednesday, you really have an, uh, an easy, easy day. And if you need a day off completely, that's the day to do it. And then you build through the weekend. And by the time you're hitting the weekend, all endurance, Thursday, Friday, and then by the time you're hitting the weekend, typically people are able to go back to their regular training schedule. But I would avoid or be hesitant to do heavy, heavy, high intensity intervals. I do everything building effort, see how you're feeling. If you're not quite re uh, ready yet, just keep it endurance over the weekend and then bam, you're back in. So it's, it's nowhere near as long as a recovery process as people think if they don't go into the races really fatigued. Now, I did say that was the last question, but Bevan's got oh, I always have one more question, mate. I tell you, just, you know, you're a very successful coach. What would you think is the key to being a successful coach? I think that I think the first thing is you can't be a keyboard assassin. You have to genuinely coach. And um, actually, I saw something a, a, a great the other day, which is if you want to be successful, you need to have a mentor, a peer, and someone you lead. And uh, and so I'll answer it with a couple of things. The first is make sure that you get engaged with genuinely helping people hands on. So I started my coaching career coaching swimming and I was coaching an age group program and then a division one university team over here. And that's how every day in, in person hands on. And and even now I still have my training squad in San Francisco. So every day I'm coaching hands on. And that really helps as an education. The second thing is you want to ensure that you have a mentor that can guide you, that can give you feedback. And it doesn't have to be a triathlon coach. It might be a swimming coach. It might be someone that you've always looked up to, but try and get underneath someone. So if someone's looking to be a coach, go and be an assistant. My assistant coaches that I have really try and I see my role, not just to say, hey, you're going to coach for me. But let's try and give you an education. Let's actually help you become a better thinking coach. And, you know, for me, it was one of my mentors was Jerry Rodriguez from Tower 26. And I was I swam under him. And then when I became a coach, he really helped me out. Now, he's mostly just a swim coach that really understands triathlon is a great open water swim coach. But he acted as a mentor. And I've had several in my career. And I thought that was really important. And then. The final thing I would say is you always have to be learning. And, and I think to learn, you have to share. So share your ideas, be willing to learn. And I don't think you'll ever be the best coach that you can be if you are insecure to hide your workouts from what you're doing because there's no growth opportunity. Fantastic. So guys, if you want to check out Matt's book, um, you go fast, fast Track Triathlete Balancing a Big Life and Long. I've got to say, John, on, on Amazon... It's got 50, 58 customer reviews. It's the first book I've ever seen with only five stars. Ooh. Yeah, so you, you, you're killing it, mate. Well, we'll see. I'm sure some assassin will get on. Yeah, <laughs> I've just ruined it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's good. That's nice to hear. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so because so, oh, I was just checking out the reviews this morning, and uh, 
people are loving it. It's obviously a really good book. So if you are an age group athlete and you love what Matt's talked about, this philosophy of a balanced life, um, check out the book. It's, it's obviously a pretty great book. Thanks, Thanks for your time, Matt. Really appreciate it. You guys do an absolutely super job. I love listening to you. So I'm, I'm always really grateful that you have me on. Great. John, your thoughts? Just got the book right in front of me here. I haven't read it yet, it but I will is, read it. Including the index, including the acknowledgements. Are you getting a page number? 363 pages long. I do try to read some. I don't get to read all the books because we get sent quite a few books, but I do. I will definitely read this one. So what it's got in there back there, it has actually got training sessions. So, you know, some books these days are sort of more theory-based. This has actually got a whole section on a 70.3 build-up and an Ironman build-up in there. How many pages is that? Because that takes it only down to 250 pages. (laughs) Uh, The 70.3 program goes from page 289. Yeah, see. So you only got 250 of reading. Yeah. Yeah. To about 330, 340-ish. Yeah, but 250 are valuable stuff. Yeah. But good stuff. Got a bit of. Uh, I just love his philosophy. You know, you, you can see that there's a deeper thought behind what he's trying to achieve, mm. and he's he's probably the most successful coach out there. Is not not oh. like as in what as in building a world. I'm not going to say he's the most. He's very successful. I'm not saying he's yeah. the best or the worst. You then you. Not but that purple patch is a pretty good brand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, John, let's put some music on. Website of the week. This is a website we use quite a lot, John. Yep, I'm just. This is going to be a one-minute website of the week. Sportsstats.ca. I am sick and tired of going to the Ironman website and not being able to get the results that I want from a race live tracking. If you, these guys do, it seems to do most of the timing for a lot of the Ironman and Challenge races. Uh, not not all, but it seems they do pretty much all the North American ones. They were doing like Bahrain and stuff at the weekend. I'm sick of tired of going out to Ironman and not. I just want the swim time, the bike time, and the run time in a very easy format. And I want to be able to filter by age group and find somebody very quickly. So check it out, sportsstats.ca, if you actually want the best results place for a lot of the events and you're sick and tired of Ironman's inability to provide that. Okay, John. Um, Wango. Oh, let's do sponsor first. Go sponsor. John, sponsor. Extreme endurance. If you are going into winter or in fact summer, but you're thinking, could be getting sick, Immune Boost is your daily multivitamin for men and women, optimally formulated to help nourish cells, tissues and body organs against damaged free radical attacks, damaging free radical attacks. Immune Boost is a comprehensive formula of vitamins, minerals, antioxidants and photonutrients specifically chosen to help assist in the immune system and provide steady nutrition nutri- nutrient support. Got to say, I was slamming down the immune boost last time. Oh, really? Last week, I was on the uh, teetering on the verge of getting sick, going because it was some pretty long days, and uh, and just sort of going, man, I hope, I hope I really don't have to get sick on race day. Just started slamming it down and got through the week quite nicely. A little bit sleep deprived, but uh, certainly got through the week thanks to immune boost. So. 
really find it makes a big difference in terms of staying healthy, especially when you think you're, you're sort of teetering on the edge. So check it out on xendurance.com. Remember the promo code IMTALK20 to get yourself a 20% discount and keep yourself healthy over winter when you might be getting more bugs going around or Southern Hemisphere athletes when uh, you're going to be training a lot harder and your body's going to be on the edge. Okay, that's xendurance.com. Guys, this week's Wing of the Week, what number, Jombo? Okay, I'm going to randomly select it on uh, johnnewsomerandom.org and we're going to go for, let me just see, what haven't we done for a while? Uh, The Slippery Bevan. Okay, this is the most swim time and Adam, let's see what, Kellogg's, I'm going to say Kellogg's, he did two hours and 45 minutes, I think it must be quiet time of season for, for training. Well, Northern Hemisphere it is, yeah. But you win with only under three hours of swimming. That's good. And if, if you look at the run times this you're week. female, you only need to do two sessions. Melissa Uri took out the females with an hour 21. Tracy Barr, uh, absent from running last night with uh, two sessions, one hour and six. And Mal South, you're uh, 45 minutes. Yeah, and then if you look at the running, you only need eight hours to win. Goodness. And then females, you only need two hours. Come on, Southern Hemisphere athletes. It's, sharpen uh, up. Sharpen up a little sharpen bit. Sharpen up. Jeepers, creepers. So on the guys' side, so as Bevan said, Adam, Adam Kellogis, Luke Egots and Rob Sheely. There we go. Aussies, two Aussies and a Canadian. Okay, questions and answers. And we'll go to the photo in a second, John. But first of all, um, just uh, Mitch Dorfling sent through some stuff about Ironman Florida. And he was just saying it was a pretty good race, first of all. Um, wait a second. No, this wasn't Ironman Florida. What was, was the one in Australia? Kangaroo? Kangaroo Island. Yeah. I, I did have a look at that yesterday. And I think they only had about... 34, I think he says. Yeah, not, not that many in the full. So the swim was, swim was choppy, original two laps, uh, had a pretty good swim, but the bike was four laps of a 6K section and was hilly and the rest was mostly flat. The bike, the run was four laps of 1K being flat. He said the full distance only had about 32 competitors. There was lots of camaraderie on the course and there was definitely no drafting. Definitely when you have 32, it's probably easy not to draft. Nice. So yeah, it looked like a good, good little series I've got set up on over in Australia. Said everything was well organised. Communication from the organisers was good and a good family feel and love the location. Good little race. Nice. That's good. Uh, Stuart Steele sent through just saying about Ironman Florida. He just had a couple of points. That he, he just said some things to gripe about with the event. Uh, drafting, it happens, but he's saying the marshals, there seems to be a lot more mar- less marshals now. So he said in 2011, there were marshals everywhere. And this time I only saw two on the bike. And they were handing out a lot of good, good, a lot of penalties, good effort. But you know that's that's a problem then. Who the hell would want to be a draft marshal? Yeah, but in a race like Florida, which we know is a draft fest, mm. and historically, obviously, they had more in the past. That's a problem. It is. I just kind of think when they're putting three thousand people on three, four thousand people on a course, it's like <laughs> it's going to happen. And he's also a bit frustrated with the clothing rules because he's got clothing rules stated that they must be worn above the breastbone, but you have ladies in boob tubes and men wearing no tops at all. That is a DQ. Yeah, well, obviously not in Florida because it's hot. Uh, and then just James Thomas has got a bit of an, a, a story about you, John. James Thomas has been stewing on this for a while if he's only bringing it up now. And he's got, it wrote last year, or this year, I decided to race in the black I Am Talk kit, which is so fantastic. I've never raced, and he actually came back and said, you know, the, my nappy pants, he's got three pair of them now because he mm-hmm. loves them. Uh, I've never raced in black before, 
and route was supposed to be a hot one, so I asked John for advice on racing in all black in the heat. Since I know he has experience in doing this, you'll be fine, John said. <laughs> okay, I thought, I'll trust him. He's the coach. On the day, it wasn't as hot as it was supposed to be, but I was out there a lot longer than the coach John was. Somewhere on my first lap of the bike, he goes whizzing past me and shouts out, Go, James Thomas. Cheers, coach, I think. I look up, and there, as he goes by, in a white, long sleeve top covering all his black kit, bugger. Needless to say, I did finish. I got two IVs at the finish, and I think I lost quite a bit of fluid throughout that day. Well, I got one IV as well, James, so I can't quite match that too, but I was wearing my black tri suit all the way through the day as well, but I wore a full-length white sleeve. Over on, the top? Over the top. So you think it's worth doing that, even though it'll make you warmer? Yep, aerodynamically, and you just got to keep it wet. Just got to take advantage of all the aid stations, keep it wet, aerodynamically, and also uh, from the sun protection as well. So, James, I was wearing my black tri suit throughout. Yeah. It worked. Stop whinging. <laughs> you got there. Yeah. <laughs> you can wear your black tri suit in Kona as well. Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's 55 degrees. Okay, Duncan Penfold, guys, we've got, we've got our competition. Two entries this and week. And it was a slow starting competition, but it's firing up. And Duncan Penfold's going to get the love because. He was the first one to come through. He's got a. He sent us through an email saying this might be the first entry in your down the tricep. What's the official name, John? Isn't it sort of the Wanger? Wanger in the pants. We'll call Wanger it. in the pants. Wanger in the pants competition. And I could not be more pleased. The video my wife took was unstable, but the trusty event photographer has come back with this picture. Oh, this is gold. So this is on the event website. Nice. Um, basically, it was the Hervey Bay Harvey Harder, Bay. Harvey Bay. Um, 100, which is 280.18, and the picture was taken about 4Ks into the run. This is a great race for me as I finished in the top 10 overall. Well done. Won my age group and had the fastest age group split in the swim, bike, and run. Callum Millwood won the race overall. Now, he's got the winger down the pants, and he didn't go with the banana, John. No, he went with the um, the deodorant bottle. Which does give the knob factor a little bit more, doesn't it? does, it? <laughs> yeah. To be honest about this. And he's gone for the out-the-side sort of uh, yeah. position. Yeah, didn't go straight up. No. <laughs> he pushed it out to the side. Out to the side. And it's, um, it's large. Yeah. Isn't it? It's large. It does. I, I wonder what people thought as they saw him running past. Mm. Yeah. One thing I hadn't thought about this was... When you're wearing a tri-suit, and both our submissions this week have been for people in a tri-suit, it's quite difficult to get it into position. Yeah. If you're wearing like short tri-shorts and a tri-top, that's pretty straightforward, just yep, down just the front. Down. But, um, so you're saying the commitment has been phenomenal. Yes. Oh, what great commitment. And the planning. So we also had the, the Holy Hammer. Now, the Holy Hammer, it was doing the pack and save race at the weekend. Yep. He, he, his planning was he we come over a bridge uh, with about couple of hundred metres to go. And pre-race, he'd gone out there and put a banana somewhere on the bridge. Oh, that's commitment. I like that. And grabbed it on the way through. Now, we did have someone taking photos in the finish shoot, trying to get every participant. And he got, they missed Murray. Uh, but he did get a post-race picture. Side-on profile. But yeah, it was a side-on profile, which was not optimal. And he, he'd gone for the down-the-leg yes. technique. Which is um, an interesting angle to win because the, the thing about the down and leg strategy is, it's it's almost like wow. Imagine if he was excited mm. because if it's going down, it means you're not excited. Yeah. So then <laughs> you've doubled it. So, It'll be coming at the top of your tricep. Yeah. So Kiwis and Aussies, you know, we're we're into our season now. We're going to set the standard high. Yes. And oh. the winner is going to be taken. So we, we, we've got two tri-suits to give away. I think we may come up with a plan, but I think we have one Southern Hemisphere one and okay. one, one Northern Hemisphere one. Okay. So Kiwis and Aussies and Saffirs, 
get your submissions going. Go Racing season's underway. Ah, oh, I love the maturity of this show, John. Okay, John, John, your water bottle. What happened? I got. An, I was at running the other morning, and Coach Gale, who's a great coach, she came up to me. She said, "Did you see John's bottle?" <laughs> and she cranks up laughing. I go, "What do you mean?" And she pulled up a photo. We're, we're getting Americanized down here, and I'm helping with the Americanization of this country. What do you mean? So we're doing triathlon. Triathlon. Are you, are you doing the triathlon? So what happened, John? Well, I'm on the phone on Friday morning, so this, this the race is on Sunday, having a chat to good old Dr. Feel Good Dave Dwight yep. about something. He was my bike course director, did an outstanding job. As always. Great official and, as well in terms of making sure people don't unbuckle their helmets before they wreck the Oh, bike. he's a bit of a hard-ass he, on he, that, is he? He stops them, and he, he is forceful. People are like, what the hell? Uh. He uh, makes them do that helmet back up. Uh, I was talking to him on the phone about something. It was like probably 8 o'clock in the morning on Friday. I had these drink bottles, been sitting in my garage for a couple of weeks, ordered them like, Six months ago. You're a good planner, aren't you, John? Planner. Now, with my logo, I'd had this logo design, really cool logo, really happy with it. But I, I hadn't actually had it put into one file. I'd kind of just done it myself. Um, uh -huh. I pulled two bits together. And so I had the logo and the pack and save logo. And then the bottom, I'd just written triathlon festival in a font and then just made it into a JPEG file. It actually looked really good. Mm. But then when you go and do artwork for things, they need a different format. And so I sent it across and they said, oh, we just need to change this because that's not going to come out on the printing on a, on a bottle. I said, that's fine. Uh, they sent me a proof and I didn't even look at it. I just thought, that's fine. Just, oh, so it wasn't your mistake or was it your mistake? It was their mistake and I didn't pull them up on the mistake. Oh, uh, okay. And so the wording said triathlon festival. And I was just talking to Dave and this bottle was sitting on my my desk because I hadn't even opened the boxes before that. Just looked at it and went, dropped an F-bomb. And I thought, God, I'm a dick. God, I'm a dick. Uh, so I thought, right, I've got to get on the front foot. Posted it on Facebook. Um, made a joke of it? Made a joke of yeah, it. you got to laugh at had, yourself. Had more responses than any other posts I'd done. <laughs> and people were going, this is fantastic. It's going to be a collector's item. Don't worry about it. And uh, I was like, that's okay. Front so, foot John. I did feel like a dick. Oh, a real yeah. dick. Yeah, well, yeah, well, you should have. I know. But well done for front footing it. Yes. Well done. Okay, guys. Patrons, if you want to become a patron on the show, you go dub 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 I am talk.me. And these are a few of our patrons. Ken, the mighty red Welsh. Yancey, the man of fashion Arrington. Recently became a dad. Yeah. Uh, Paul Chainsaw Link. Oh, Paul, Paul Chainsaw Link. Okay, John, sponsors. Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. I actually think I saw a, a picture of Yancey on Facebook being a dad, which is okay. pretty cool. Yeah. And extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And if you want to become a patron, just go to dub dub dub. I am talked up me. It's all very obvious once you go and to the you front page. And you can come to Kona next year. We'll be doing the draw for one lucky person. We'll probably do that around, what, end of March time, I'd say. March, yeah, about end of March. Yeah, I suppose we have to determine when we do it. Hmm. John, you're doing it. Oh, no, it's Matthew Benz who shared this. Um, John, your goss. Life can re return to normal. Wasn't busy last week, but I had a lot on. Wasn't busy though. I made those choices and <laughs> had to sacrifice a few other things. And one of those has been any sort of quality training in the last couple of weeks. So looking forward to getting back to life. But had a very successful tri festival. Now I've got to say, so this was the first time I've ever run a age group draft legal triathlon. We had really good numbers um, for the draft legal race. I think we had about a hundred. So this is this is the one that was the qualifier, is it? Yeah. So it's a qualifier for world champs. Uh, broken and ended up breaking into two waves so we had all men um, 54 and under in one wave and the second wave was females and men 55 and over and um, the feedback I've had so far is incredibly positive. Oh, great. Now 
we had some fast dudes in there, and I've got to say, it was great to see. We had Mike Phillips and Dylan McNeese racing, both Ironman guys now, and they just schooled the young fellas. Really? So those guys are great swimmers. I was expecting them to come out one, two in the swim, and the others might be a few stragglers hanging on. As it turned out, they came out sort of third and fourth, and there was there was probably eight of them came out of the swim together. And I'm thinking, oh, this could be interesting, especially, you know, Dylan's a good Ironman runner, yeah. but some of these young fellas, you know, they're pretty pretty quick over well, 5K, and uh, and then they just crushed him on the bike. Oh, really? They got in a two-man breakaway and just put him. well over a minute into them and uh, and just dealt, and this, the second pack, they were unorganized, and Mike and Dylan were just lapping it out, just killing it. It was good to see. But the age groupers, you know, there was 60 on the start line, uh, and... Uh, on the bike, you know, it was really interesting to watch. There was lots of ones and twos, and there was a couple of packs formed, you know, a lot less than what I would have anticipated. I didn't really get to see too much of the, the girls' race. I was running around doing other things, but lots of people were coming up to me afterwards and just saying, it's just really different. There's just that extra added pressure. You're pushing a lot harder. You know, things are a bit Spikes. more out of your control yeah. and uh, and really enjoy the pressure moment. And, and, and receiving similar comments from Australia, they're going through their qualifying for world champs as well. And um, guys just saying... It's fun. It's different. You know, you've really you putting the foot down, and it was a cool course we had. It was a five k lap, so you're coming past the crowd, and yeah, yeah, people really loved it. So, so who won? Uh, Mike Phillips took it out. Dylan McNeese uh, just hang, held on for for second. He had a young fella who ran uh, sixteen. I think it was sixteen seventeen, and wow, the course was pretty good. It, it is. It's just over five k's. Um, the laps are actually two and a half, but probably the, add the run in from transition, and it's probably I think it's five point one, five point two. So that's pretty good. Yeah, so that's not bad for a young fella, especially at the end of the you know mm. the sprint triathlon. And so he, Dylan, it was two seconds between uh, second and third, and the girls side of things. We had Hannah Knighton take it out, came down from the North Island, and uh, in front of our Kiwi close Kiwi girls, Kerry Aitken and Ari Graham. So it was good times. Did um. Uh, any other honourable mentions? Um, Thomas did his first proper <laughs> oh, nice. triathlon. Did he love it? Because I know he's always been keen. He loves it. God, so he cool. loves it. Um, How did he go? Uh, where was he? he was probably mid-field. Where did he go? Got, I think he got 10th out of about 25 or nice. something like that. Top 10. He was pretty happy. Yep. And ah, good times all around. What do you say to your kid after the race? How did your race go? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, yeah. You never goss? Uh, no, the goss. No, not that I can think of off the top of my head. Bevan, what's happening in your world? The commentating at the carport cannibal. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting concept. So basically, if you, you, you may have heard of this overseas. I think it's always telling me. I don't know if this is true. They're doing it as a part of the tour of Adelaide. Yep. So it's at. at uh, I didn't know it was part of, but they have one in Melbourne, um, which is the tour down under. Um, that would be part of it. So you basically race up a car park building. Yeah. On uh, sometimes you have a lot of guys doing fixed, fixed. Um, well, they fixed had a fixed races. category. Finland was there. And yep. he turned up. Now that bike was a bike that was racing the Commonwealth Games, wasn't it? Not sure about that, but Phil's got a fairly large bike collection. Well, I'm pr- I, I seem to recall that he'd bought it off. I think it was one of the, the Olympic uh, Commonwealth Games medalists. Right. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It's old school cool. Mm-hmm. It is old school cool, man. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, but what was really interesting about it, it was a cool event. And the, the only downfall was it was on a Sunday night. So a lot of people left because it's kind of meant to be a party afterwards. Mm-hmm. And because Sunday night, most people left. But if they bring it to a Saturday night, it would be a really wicked event because it's basically just a party and you've got some cycle racing happening. So it takes about, I think Phil was saying, 45 seconds was the fastest and, and sort of out to about a minute and a half. Um, but what was really interesting, you'd actually be better off doing it on a mountain bike. 
or, or a, a road bike with mountain bike wheels. Mm-hmm. The guy who won it was a guy who works at the gym mm-hmm. and he's, he does, does a lot of that kind of extreme endurance racing mm-hmm. and he's a very good mountain cyclist. And said, yeah. And he said just the key was, and you had a corner really well. He mm-hmm. had, his mountain bike skills was actually the key to winning it mm-hmm. um, because a lot of cyclists don't have that. Because apparently going into the corner, like literally your pedals were almost touching the ground. Yeah. So it was pretty sharp turning. And so to have a little bit of a slightly thicker wheel probably yeah. was an advantage. But he did do it on a road bike, but he just said his mountain bike skills were... But it was a cool concept. So hopefully it becomes a bit of a part of the new Christchurch calendar because, you know, cycle racing is really fun, but it's a spectator you don't get to watch it no whereas this you know, it was a big party atmosphere so it was kind of cool and then John Christmas in the park mm-hmm. I suppose you didn't take the kids Christmas no in the, no because no. your triathlon is more important no we just don't want to go and do Christmas in the park oh it's awesome <laughs> oh seriously you should do it if, 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 if it's not around when your race is it's such an amazing show mm-hmm. like seriously like the talent they had a couple of New Zealand stars but you wouldn't know the talent but Jeez, we've got some talented people. It's such a good night. Get all your friends together and mm-hmm. up dancing and good. Oh, and yeah, good times, John. Good times. Getting the Christmas spirit. Yeah, well, our house is already decorated. I'm not happy about it. It's like why not? We're not even December yet. I, I sort of in my mind think first of December you get the green light. I pick my battles. You're a Christmas commander, aren't you? Pick my battles. You're a Christmas commander. We don't have ours yet. We're going to do it on Friday because it's the first December. <laughs> there you go. But they say that the theory in Christchurch is after show week. Right. So, so it is within permission time. Good. How long afterwards do you take it down? The night of Christmas? <laughs> wow. yeah, no. It's got to be down by New Year's. Have you bought Belinda's present? No, I haven't. My wife is fantastic. She's, does, she's done all the Christmas shopping already. We are sorted. But what about hers? Um, I'll give her a little cuddle you know? <laughs> if she's lucky if she's lucky <laughs> she might get a, a deodorant bottle down the pants I just paid for my Commonwealth Games accommodation this morning so it's like Was that, is it expensive yes oh really <laughs> the Airbnb at all did you no no no. we're staying at a um, like an apartment holiday park in, a, in an apartment there it's going to be good times how long are you going for seven or eight nights good times who else is going to are you going with another family uh, my brother and his family are going to be over there oh, good times mm. okay here's a question yes you compete at the Commonwealth Games as you are right now. Mm-hmm. What event do you do? You've got the best chance of doing well in. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to shit. You're going to be crap. Be. Lawn bowls? That's actually not a big Wow. <laughs> I think we're underestimating lawn bowls. Although, John, once a year we have the family lawn bowls championship because mm-hmm. Joe's parents are into the lawn bowls. Mm-hmm. And last year I just about beat Ken Reid. Duck quacking competition. Not that it's with the Commonwealth Games. It was on the news last night, and they were calling it a sport. Like, really? Yeah, we got a couple of podium finishes. John, we were pretty good. Yeah. What would you do? I said lawn bowls. I wouldn't be good at anything else. Lawn bowls. I wouldn't be good at that either. But at least I've got a fighting chance. I'd drive it up and try to put them off their game. Yeah. What what sports is the most fluke? Lawn bowls. <laughs> I'm thinking. I can't think. No. I, I <laughs> Well, some sports are more fluky, like like surf lifesaving. You're sure you're going to be a pretty good swimmer, but getting the right wave makes a big difference. They should yeah. have surf lifesaving. There's your chance. <laughs> there you go. I do. Um, I do. Oh, 50, 50 meter swim. Yeah, there's a lot of chance in that yeah, one. Yeah, because well, I remember when I raced you in the fifty meter. I was at twenty five meter. I it raced was you. A in. Timing error. Look, it was not. I took it out. <laughs> Look, just just face it, John. I'm the fastest swimmer over twenty five meters. Anyway, let's wrap it up. Iron Rush. I'm in. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha.